Ms. Karen Olson-Coy has organized the Advent Candle and the readers once again, and I'm just so grateful for them. You know, Advent has the idea of waiting, and it's about waiting on the Christ child, celebrating his birth. And at this point, I'm invite the children. Are, is there junior church? Did children may be dismissed to junior church at this point. Atticus is like halfway out, so go ahead. And the other kids too, it's great. They're all on their way to junior church right now. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26. We're going to start at verse 26, and we're going to talk about Jesus' birth foretold. Jesus' birth foretold. This is about, we're going to look at a passage in which the angel Gabriel comes to marry the mother of Jesus and tells her how she is blessed and how she's going to be the mother of the Christ child, the mother of the Messiah. So Jesus' birth foretold. A few days ago, I was driving with Mercedes and Abigail. It was just the three of us. And I said something like, 2024 is just around the corner. And Abigail said, I'm not ready for 2024. And it was just striking. She tried to clarify later on what she meant by she's not ready for 2024, but that's not the, that's not the thing that you expect a 10-year-old to say. I don't know if she had a homework assignment left or what it was, but it's not the thing you expect a kid to say. It's something you expect an adult to say. And it made me think of different songs about time. It was a country song when country was a little bit more country uh, when I was a kid. Time Marches On, I think it was called by somebody. And it was about time. Time marches on and it goes through in the song, you know, about sister doing something and brother doing something, but time marches on. And then when I was a kid, my dad tried for a while to keep his side of the family together. And on Christmas Eve night, he would have his siblings over. Unfortunately, it faded out and fizzled out after a while, but he would set up an eight millimeter projector and play an eight millimeter movie that his father took when they were kids. Later, that eight millimeter movie was professionally transferred over to a VHS with the song, Time in a Bottle by Jim Croce. Did I say that right? I think I did. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing I'd wanna do. Of course, I was yesterday thinking about time and so I Googled uh, famous songs about time and I'm sure you're all thinking of Cher. And I'm just kidding, maybe you're not thinking, if I could turn back time. Or the Beatles song, Yesterday, All My Troubles Seem So Far Away. You know, as we celebrate Christmas and as we go into the Christmas Eve service tonight and we continue looking at these Christmas passages, we can rejoice that the omnipresent God, God is omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere, including outside of time. God is with us yesterday, was with us yesterday. He is with us today. We have the promises of God that he will be with us in 2024. He's, the, he's omnipresent. He's present outside of time. Actually, when you think of the future, God's already there. He's already there in the future. And the omnipresent God became one of us. Emmanuel, that's what it means, God with us. That's what I'm gonna talk more about tonight. God's presence with us. We are never alone. And, and unfortunately, 
the more we hear them, those truths kind of get old to us. For instance, Chan talks about hearing someone say, what would it have been like for Moses to go up Mount Sinai and talk to God on the mountain? And he said, Moses would look back at us and say, what's it like to have God with you? We don't have to go on the mountain. God is with us. Actually, the Apostle Paul used the Greek word when he says your body is a temple of, of the Holy Spirit. He used a Greek word that meant the inner sanctum, the holy of holies. The holy of holies of God is within us as Christians when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian. That is powerful. That's the meaning of Christmas, God with us. He'll be with us in 2024 just like he's with us today. And we're gonna come back to that in a few moments. But first I wanna bring up, as I think about the Christmas story, I wonder what if Mary would have said no? The angel came to Mary. Could Mary have said no? If Mary said no, would there have been a savior? If Mary said no, what would have happened in Bethlehem? As you know, Mary was the mother of Jesus, and this event didn't just happen. It was God's foreordained plan. This was God's foreordained plan. In today's passage, Mary was told that she was to give birth to the Christ child. She didn't even argue. She didn't argue. Now you ask, why would she argue? Well, though it was an honor for her, Mary did face a lot of shame and a lot of trouble for the virgin birth. We're gonna look at Luke 1, 26 through 38. And in this passage, we will see that Mary is told about Jesus's birth. And I want you to notice Mary's obedience. Many of us do not realize the shame, the scorn Mary would have faced because she wasn't married. She was an unwed mother of about 14 years old. Later on in verses that we won't look at today, we have the different prophecies prophesied over the Christ child, Anna, and also another one. Um, and the one said, a sword will pierce your soul to Mary. Mary was there when Jesus was crucified. Mary watched Jesus, her son, mocked, beaten, and crucified for us. It was a privilege, and Mary was a very pious, godly young lady. And when she was told she was to be the mother of the Christ child, it was a blessing. She was blessed among women. And it was a high privilege, but it was also a high responsibility. So my theme today is Mary is told about the man who she is to give birth to. Notice her obedience. Look at verses 26 through 29. We see Mary is greeted by Gabriel. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was, gre- she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Here an angel 
comes to her. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Notice the passage begins saying, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is continuing the narrative because right before this part of the story, we have the prophecy prophecy of John the baptizer's birth. Here is this elderly woman named Elizabeth. She's never been able to bear a child. Her and her husband, Zacharias, have been praying for a child. And the angel Gabriel visits him while he's doing his temple service and says, your prayers have been answered. Your wife's going to have a baby. I should add that it's been 400 years since there's been any type of angelic vision or any type of prophecy, any type of miracle in Israel. They call it the 400 silent years between Malachi of our Old Testament and Matthew in our New Testament. They even had these type of prophecies. And an angel appears to Zacharias, and now his wife Elizabeth is pregnant, pregnant for six months. That's a miracle. And now this angel, Gabriel, sent from God to a city of Galilee. Luke is giving locations. When you see these types of locations, it's part of a defense of the scriptures. It's proving the authenticity. You know, you have all these extra details. City of Galilee, named Nazareth. To a virgin, this is a, a young maiden, a young woman who's never known a man in a sexual way. But she's engaged to a man whose name is Joseph. Joseph was of, of the house of David. Her name is Mary. The text says Gabriel was sent to Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth was a city, a very small city. Uh, Galilee was the greater area. Nazareth had about 1,600 to 2,000 people. Not a very big city, 1,600 to 2,000 people. Not a very big city. Take note that an angel is involved in this event. The word for angel means messenger, and here we see the angel being a messenger of God. Angels were warriors. They were warriors. They did God's bidding, and, and in this case, the angel is being a messenger. Gabriel and Michael are the only angels in the New Testament mentioned by name. And these are the most popular angels in Jewish lores as well. And it seems as though when God wants something special communicated, he sends Gabriel. We've seen Gabriel in the Bible before. It seems like there's some specials going on Gabriel's sent. The angel comes to this young woman, Mary, a virgin, engaged or pledged to be married to Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph was a descendant of David. Because Joseph was of David's line, and Jesus would be his legal son, Jesus could qualify as belonging to David's royal house. Jesus had to be from the royal house of David to fit the qualifications to be Israel's Messiah. So Jesus was not actually Joseph's son, but Joseph adopted Jesus. And if you compare the ancestry of Jesus in Luke chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 1, both fit together to make Jesus the perfect priest, prophet, and king of Israel. The New American Commentary tells us that virgins in Judaism were young maidens, usually about 14 years old or younger. 
Now, some say she might have been 16 or 17, but oftentimes we think more like 13 or 14 years old. Gabriel meets Mary by saying that she's highly favored. The Lord is with her. How often do you greet someone like that? Not often. And that apparently was the same for Mary because she did not understand the greeting. Now, if I were Mary, there'd be a few other things I wouldn't understand. Here's an angel right in front of her. Put yourself in the text. Put yourself in her place. An angel is right in front of her. She's probably caught off guard. And the angel says, you're highly favored. Greetings. We see Gabriel explain why she's highly favored. Look at verses 30 through 33. Again, Luke chapter 1. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Take that in. Rome is in charge right now. And Jerusalem has different factions, so to speak, leading it. You have the Zealots, you have the Essenes. You can look them up on Wikipedia later or ask me. You, have, you also have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, you have Herod, who wasn't even a rightful king at this point. And then Rome is ultimately leading them. They've been waiting for a king like David of the Old Testament. They've been waiting for a savior. And they've been waiting for a Messiah, which means anointed one. She's told she's going to bear this child. Notice the angel starts by saying, do not be afraid. I like that. Because this verse shows that angels were warriors. They were an image that we don't usually see. They were not fair-skinned, feminine creatures that looked maternal. I know we see them on our cards and on our pictures. They were not that way. They were fearful warriors. And oftentimes, when an angel greeted somebody, they said, do not fear. If something that is angelic greets you and does not say do not fear, you probably should fear. It may not be an angel. (laughs) The angel tells her, do not fear. Later on, by the way, in the next chapter, the angels also tell the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. There will be for all people, for unto you is the city of David. I have it memorized from Linus and Charlie Brown. (laughs) You should watch it tonight. She says, the angel says that she has found favor with God. Stop there. I realized that my questions at the beginning of the sermon were not fair. Obviously, God would not have chosen Mary if Mary would have said no. If she had resisted. But why did God choose her? She was favored by God. I wonder, was she such a respectful, pious young lady that she was favored? Or does favor simply mean that God will bestow on her this blessing of being the mother of the Christ child? Think about that. It could be both. She has the blessing of being the mother of the Christ child. It may not always feel like a blessing when she was considered, looked upon like a prostitute, 
like an unfaithful woman, when he was looked upon like the son of an unfaithful woman. It may not have seemed like a blessing when she had to give up her son for his his priestly mission and, and, and his prophet and prophetic and kingly mission and his ministry and eventually crucifixion. It may not have always felt like a blessing, but she was blessed. And I have to believe she was a pious young lady. Then the angel tells her she will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Jesus. Look at that. She is told that she will become pregnant. That is prophetic in verse 34. It says that she's still a virgin. She's told the baby will be a boy. Again, this is prophetic. She doesn't even know she's pregnant yet. You can't even know the sex of the baby until about 16 weeks. And the angel is telling her, you are going to be pregnant. The baby is going to be a boy. You're to name the baby Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Now, this is not unusual in the scriptures. In the Bible, we learn that God controls the womb. God controls the womb. Today, we think we're in control of the womb. Nope, God is in control. God controls the womb. In Genesis 17, verse 17, and Genesis 18, verse 12, both Abraham and Sarah laugh when they are told that they're gonna have a baby in their old age. And guess what? A year later, they have a baby in their old age. Later, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, the great prophet Samuel is born to a barren woman. And actually later in Luke chapter 1, we see what's called Mary's Magnificat. That praise of Mary is modeled after Hannah's praise in 1 Samuel chapter 2. God controls the womb. In Luke 1, the same chapter, verses 8 through 25. John the Baptist, father Zacharias, was told, as I've already mentioned, he will have a son in his old age. And he is also, by the way, told the name for the son is John. God controls the womb. Now, Mary likely knew that God controlled the womb. They were smarter back then than we are today. She likely knew God controlled the womb. But she's still a woman around 14 years old. She's engaged to be married. If she is pregnant, she's got to ask how. And if she's pregnant and not by Joseph, it will look like adultery and she could be stoned by the, by the Levitical law. Mary had to be thinking, what am I going to tell my fiance? Some of you are thinking, who cares? They're not married yet. But back then, under a Jewish engagement, it was so formal, it was considered adultery to become, for a woman to be pregnant when they're in the engagement process, in the engagement time, but not married yet. Marriage consisted of two stages, engagement followed by the marriage itself. Engagement involved a formal agreement initiated by a father seeking a wife for a son. The next most important person involved was the father, the bride. A son's opinion would be sought more often in the process than a daughter's. Upon payment of a purchase price to the bride's father, for he lost a daughter and helper, whereas the son's family gained one, there's a purchase price and there's a written agreement and or oath by the son. The couple was then engaged. Although during this stage, the couple in some instances cohabited, this was the exception. An engagement was legally binding and any sexual contact by the daughter with another person was considered adultery. 
the engagement could not be broken except through divorce. And the parties during this period were considered a husband and wife. At this time, this one source says Mary was likely no more than 15 years old, probably younger, as I've already mentioned. Mary had to be thinking, what am I gonna tell my parents? What am I gonna tell my fiance? What am I gonna tell my parents? How is this going to work? In the next few verses, she is told that she will be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I'm a pastor and I'm a father, but if my daughter or wife said they were pregnant by the Holy Spirit, I'd be suspicious. <laughs> Mary must have been thinking, what will the neighbors think? She must have been thinking, I will be the talk of the town. Literally, I mean, she came from a small area. They talked about things like that. Many of you are old enough to remember when it was, even in our country, scandalous for a woman to be pregnant out of wedlock. Gabriel tells Mary, he, her son will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob. That means Israel, Israel's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Take that in. David's kingdom ended. Solomon's kingdom ended. These kings of the Old Testament, their kingdom ended. Her son's kingdom will never end. It's major. He will grow up to have the throne of Israel. Now, Mary likely interpreted this to mean that he will be physically the king, just as David was in the Old Testament. And David was the greatest king of Israel. But David died, and his son Solomon ruled Israel. Then Solomon died, and Israel was split into a divided monarchy by Solomon's children, David's grandchildren. David and Solomon were mortal kings. Mary is told that her son will reign forever. It's a lot of responsibility, by the way. She's to be the mother of the future eternal king of Israel. Now, we're going to see how this will happen. Look at verses 34 through 35. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary knows biology. She knows where babies come from. And she's just asking a question. How is this going to work? Now, I must say, this does not mean that God physically had any sexual relationships with Mary. No, that would be totally wrong. That's not accurate at all. The Holy Spirit came upon her and basically artificially inseminated her in a profound, miraculous way. Look at verses 36 through 37. We see a miracle has already been performed. The angel says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice her response. 
I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Nothing, verse 37, the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. Do we believe that? Amen. Do we ever doubt God? Do you find it hard to believe in the virgin birth? Do you find it hard to believe that Jesus would later turn water into wine in John chapter 2? Which, by the way, was the best wine. <laughs> Do you find it hard to believe it wasn't grape juice? I'm just letting you know. Do you find, I was taught that it was grape juice. It wasn't grape juice. It was real wine. It was the best wine. If it was grape juice, it wasn't as great of a miracle. It was a miracle. Do you find it hard to believe that Jesus would heal many people? Do you find it hard to believe that Jesus fed 5,000 with a small boy's lunch? Poor boy, we don't even know his name. But Jesus fed 5,000 with his lunch. Do you find it hard to believe that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Do you find it hard to believe that Jesus was resurrected and still lives? He still lives. Nothing is impossible with God. God can do all things. I'm convinced that we all struggle with faith sometimes, even pastors. But why do we want to believe in such a little God? If he is God, he must be greater than we are. And here the angel tells the young woman, Mary, don't worry. Nothing will be impossible with God. In verse 38, we see Mary's great obedience. Notice that Mary doesn't say, well, Gabriel, I really, really, really thank you for considering me for this task. I mean, like, I know that I'm a true and godly young lady, and that is likely why you chose me. But, you know, I like, 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 I'm not up for this. I mean, I'm still young. I, I, I don't want the public humiliation. Well, well, just go and choose somebody else. Mary doesn't say that. There's no argument. We may argue with God. Mary does not. Mary accepts. Now, could Mary say no? We can't answer that. We do know what she says. I am the Lord's servant. How is our obedience? At a certain hospital, a boy, a children's hospital, a boy gained a reputation for wreaking havoc with the nurses and staff. One day, a visitor who knew about his terrorizing nature made him a deal. If you're good for a week, she said, I'll give you a dime when I come back. A week later, she stood before his bed. I'll tell you what, she said, I won't ask the nurses. I won't ask the nurses if you behaved. You must tell me yourself, do you deserve this dime? After a moment's pause, a small voice from among the sheets said, give me a penny. God may not be calling you to give birth to his son, as he called Mary, which is good if you're a man because that would be a bigger miracle than the virgin birth. <laughs> but maybe God is calling you to buy Christmas gifts for a neighbor's children. Maybe God is calling you to call and check on somebody later today. Maybe God is calling you to call and pray with someone or visit somebody at a retirement community, a nursing home, a hospital, Maybe God is calling you to bake a meal for someone. Maybe God is calling you to something else. 
Are we being obedient to the Lord's call on our life? I like, I read this yesterday. This comes from Tim Keller. If Jesus Christ really, if Jesus Christ is really mighty God and everlasting father, you can't just like him. In the Bible, the people who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted indifferently or even mildly. Once they realized what he was claiming about himself, either they were scared of him or furious with him, or they, or they knelt down before him and worshiped him. Do you realize that? When people encountered Jesus in the Bible, they were either scared of him, when they realized who he was, God in the flesh, either they were scared of him or they were furious with him. Or the third option, they bowed down and worshiped him. Nobody simply liked him. Nobody said, he's so inspiring, he makes me want to live a better life. If the baby born at Christmas is the mighty God, then you must serve him completely. How are we doing? Are we serving him completely? Are we responding like Mary, I am the Lord's servant? Are we resisting something that God is calling us to do? Maybe God wants us to apologize to somebody that we've offended this past week. Be obedient. Be God's servant as Mary was. So again, I know my questions were unfair. God knew what type of person Mary would be when he chose her to be the mother of the Christ. Still, we as Protestants, we as Protestants must recognize that Mary was blessed. She was a blessed woman who must have been godly to be the mother of the Christ child. Mary was obedient when she was told that she'll be the mother of Jesus. Praise God. Mary did not know what we know. You know the great song. I'll sing it for you. No, I won't. Um, I can barely read it to you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? By the way, when that happened, how did they respond? They were scared. The disciples looked, who is this? they realized how awesome and amazing God in the flesh Jesus is. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked or angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. This baby born in Bethlehem, Jesus, he's God in the flesh. That's not his beginning, that's his incarnation. That's just when he became a human being. He has walked where angels trod. He, Jesus, created the angels. Colossians 1, we've talked about that. He holds all creation together. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? You know he's coming back as judge? He's coming back, and he's coming back as judge. He's coming back. We're looking forward to his soon coming back. That's why the Bible ends with a phrase, Maranatha. It's a word. It means come, Lord Jesus, and he's coming back as judge. He's coming back as king of kings. He's going to take up his throne, king of kings and lord of lords. Did you know 
your baby boy will one day rule the nations. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is a great I am. I began this message talking about being ready for 2024. And I talked about time. It makes us think about eternity, right? The God of eternity, Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, took on flesh. He became part of time. Tony Evans shares this. Eternity is never ending. This concept can be hard to grasp. Think of it this way. If we were to empty the Pacific Ocean, the largest body of water in the world, we'd be left with a hole that's beyond imagination. If we were then to fill that hole with sand and make a pile as high as Mount Everest, we'd be talking about a lot of sand because Mount Everest is the tallest mountain peak in the world. Since the ocean is fairly deep and Mount Everest is fairly high, we'd have a fairly sizable sand pile. Now, if we had a bird that would take one grain of sand from that sand pile every 100 billion years, a bird takes one grain of sand from that sand pile every 100 billion years. How long would it take the bird to finish the sand pile? Sand pile as high as Mount Everest in the Pacific, one grain of sand every 100 billion years. Tony Evans says, I don't know that in human language, we have such a number. It is probably beyond numerical count. Whatever that number is, when the bird finishes that last grain of sand, you have been in eternity, your first second. Eternity with God is never ending. God is outside of time. He became part of his creation. Emmanuel, God in the flesh, Jesus our savior. And when we know him, we trust in him as Lord and Savior. When we are committing our life to him, we have everlasting life with him. And we commit our life to him. And for those of you, most of you probably right now sitting there saying you believe in him, you know him, he is with you, God in the flesh, the master of molecules, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one outside of time, the one who holds the future. So, we have no real reason to fear. God is with us. He'll be with us to the end. He'll be with us in the end. He'll be with us forevermore. And when we think the end is here, maybe for this life, which it will be at some point, our body dies, but our spirit immediately, immediately goes to be with our Lord and Savior in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and you will be eternally with our Savior in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent the Son, that God, the Father, sent the Son to be part of his creation, to live amongst us, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again. The master of molecules, the one who actually holds the future together, becoming part of his creation living that perfectly pure, spotless, sinless life, dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. Lord Jesus, if anyone is here gathered today and they do not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day where they turn their life back to you, confessing they are sinners in need of a Savior. 
believing in you as the one and only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Lord God, we all struggle in this life from time to time. We thank you, Lord God, that you are eternal. You're outside of time. You're omnipresent. You're omnipotent. You're all powerful. You're omniscient. You know everything. There's no surprises for you. And you're with us. Be with us today. Remind us of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Before this closing song, I want to invite the altar prayer workers up. I meant to invite them up before that prayer. And they will be up here as we close the song, as we close the service in this song. And, you know, as I always say, I just want to say again, if God has laid anything on your heart, we would love the opportunity to pray with you. It's a privilege to pray with you. And, it, and don't feel like you're burdening us. It's a joy to pray with you. It's a privilege to pray with you. And prayer does matter. Like most all of us here, we, would, we believe in prayer, right? Amen? Yeah. We believe in prayer. And I'm sure if you come up and you would just want to pray by yourself, we'll respect that, of course, as well. I'll turn it over now. All right, if everybody wants to stand up and join me in this last.